Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. And if you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. And today I have my co-host and media consultant, Andrea Carter. How are you doing today, Andrea? Fine. How are you, John? I'm doing spectacular. And we also have our circulation director, Wade Lacey Sr. How are you doing today, Wade? I'm good, John. Good to be here. Glad to have you. And we also have our Herald intern, Suhana Sinhan. How are you doing today, Suhana? I'm doing fantastic, John. Thanks for having me today. No problem at all. And we also have our special guest, Mary Camp, dance instructor at Dancing with Parkinson's. How are you doing today, Mary? I am fine, John. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So before we head into our main topic, let's head into some of the top news topics of the week. A federal jury in New York convicted the R&B superstar R. Kelly on multiple counts of racketeering and sex trafficking charges. The 54-year-old singer faced nine counts and 14 underlying acts, including sexual exploitation of a child, kidnapping, bribery, and sex trafficking charges. Kelly also faced eight additional violations of the Mann Act, a law that punishes predators for taking minors across state lines for sexual purposes. When Kelly receives his sentence scheduled for May 4th, 2022, he could get life in prison. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? It's been a long time coming. I think that we, you know, we've heard the rumors over the years and we've heard articles and discussions and accusations. And I think that it was a long time coming, but I'm glad to see that he got his due. I'm just appalled of how long he was able to do what he did for so long. But again, I'm not surprised because in the other uber pedophiles or molesters that have been found convicted or at least accused and put behind bars per se, all got their due one way or the other. So we'll see what the next steps are and people will learn from this. Wade, your thoughts on this story? Wow, it's, it's, uh, it's been ongoing for a long time. And it's, it's amazing that, uh, that he continued to follow the same direction that he did over this period of time. We're talking probably more than 20 years of all the things going on with the accusations and all. And he continued, just thought he was going to get away with it. So it, it took a long time, but uh, now he's he'll, he'll probably be serving some major time. I, don't, I doubt if he'll get out as soon as Bill Cosby did. I don't think he's going to have that fortune, <laughs> so to speak. But uh, yeah, this this has been a long, long time, and it's, it's not isolated. Think about Elvis Presley uh, with, with uh, Priscilla, who he eventually married, but she was 14 at the time. And this type of thing, what was it? it was Woody Allen, I think his name, Woody Allen, yes, the, the comedian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. A situation like that with, uh, I think his daughter at the time, adopted daughter or something like that. Adopted daughter, too. Yeah. So uh, this type of thing is in, in that uh, industry, the entertainment industry is, is, is pretty prevalent. And uh, hopefully they'll start catching this sooner. And, uh, and kind of stop this type of behavior. Also, in in on the, the same respect, uh, they've got to do something. They they said the prosecutors was able to show where his manager, security guards, and this other entourage and everything assisted him all this time in, in these certain crimes and all. But I didn't see anywhere where they were being prosecuted. 
So you have to get them all. You know what I'm saying? You you got to make a, a, a statement, but not just prosecute him. But if people would help him do this, they have to be prosecuted also. Well, there are a lot of people um, behind the scenes who were complicit with his activities, and they got deals from the prosecution to convict R. Kelly. So, and I mean, even people who have been accused of, of helping have not been convicted yet, but a lot of people got deals to get this dot, to get this prosecution done. So we'll see what happens with the outcome as a continuum for everyone who testified as to what happened and what went on and see who else will be accused and charged. Yeah, because ho hopefully more people will, will, will be a part of the of, of eviction and everything. Because it, 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 otherwise, it, it, it's not R. Kelly now, it's somebody else that's doing the same thing and those same folks will be helping them out again for the next 20, 30 years. And, 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 and you get one person and, and the, the system continues to be uh, same type of activity. So hopefully they'll, they'll involve more people in, in the uh, prosecution and, and hopefully they'll uh, take away this, this avenue of people doing this type of abuse. Uh, Suhana, your thoughts on this story? Um, John, the case of R. Kelly is super messed up. The case range, his crimes range from anything between racketing to pornography of minors. And, and the problem is the uh, it's not only just one or two cases, but the gentleman was involved in so many other activities associated with this, this particular line of work. And what disturbs me further that he was able to get away with all of it with a very personal entourage, which he was able to maintain due to the uh, money flowing in because of his fame and success. And um, this it's not as... Um, uh, Andrea and Wade have listed that this is their, this is not the first case that any famous musician has done anything like this. The crimes listed makes me think the kind of sentence that will be issued to him. And I truly believe that court should not provide him any leniency because such kind of thought existing around is already corruptible enough and disturbing for many young teenagers and women to read around that they can be exploited so easily with just presence of money. There's so many cases we are reading around. There are so many people who are trying their best to subdue such cases and bring justice to people. It would be shame if uh, R. Kelly gets away with this easily. Moving on. Former President Barack Obama held a ceremonial groundbreaking for his presidential center in Chicago. Barack Obama was joined by his wife, former First Lady Michelle Obama, to break ground on the complex, which will feature a museum, a library, and a child play area. The presidential center is being built on Chicago's south side, where Mrs. Obama grew up and the couple currently lives. The former First Lady said it was important to give back to a community that has given them so much. The Presidential Center is expected to cost about $830 million, which is being raised from private donations. Construction is expected to take four years to complete. Andrea, your thoughts on this news story? I think it's it's um, well done. I've been to the Chicago South Side, and that area needs investment. Chicago, for too long, has invested in other areas of the city and ignored the South Side. And even though the activists claimed that they wanted to protect the park, they really didn't want the investment in the South Side. They thought the 
Obamas were should have invested in areas that are already invested in and um, you know, not do anything for the South side at all, which I think is horrible. But then again, that goes to the type of thinking certain people with money have regarding who they think is privileged and who's not. So I'm very happy. I can't wait to see the center when it's completed because I, I, I know I will be one of the first ones to visit it, or at least not the first ones, but at least in a group of people to go visit it and see what it has to offer and maybe even participate in some activities because he is our first Black president. And I think he is a role model for future presidents to invest in areas that need investing and give back to the people in a very spectacular way that could produce jobs, education, and leadership. Wade, your thoughts on this new story? Uh, it's an interesting uh, move. Uh, well, one from the viewpoint of the 830 million, uh, when they projected it at 500 at first, a little over 500 million. It's always interesting when I see those projections and then see what they actually uh, turn out to be. He's, he's doing it his way. He's doing it his way. It won't be a official presidential library, per se. Uh, they say that they, this will not house his presidential papers. They will be digitized uh, here at the, at the location. Uh, so he, he's changed some things up on that end. Uh, he also said he, he wants this place to hold host concerts and cultural events, lecture trainings and summits and different things. like. So he, he wants this to be something different from what uh, presidents usually usually do. So uh, I think it's a good thing for Chicago. I think over the years, it will be similar to, to the African-American Museum in Washington, D.C., where uh, a lot of people will will uh, come and for uh, the, uh, the facility, both black and white. Uh, so I think it's a good thing for Chicago. I think it's a good thing for future presidents to look at how, how they want to be remembered and all that. So I, I think it's a great, great uh, thing that he's doing there in uh, Chicago. Uh, Suhana, your thoughts on this news story? John, uh, historically, uh, Chicago uh, kind of always had a very notorious name. And it is always great that uh, people in people who belong to that city invest into it for its after reaching a certain position in life for its well-being and growth. Uh, if I try to put myself in the position of Michelle Obama, if I had this opportunity to, after a, such a lustrous career, settle back in my hometown and do something which will not only benefit the community, but overall is a good gesture, I, I think I would be uh, extremely happy and privileged about it. Uh, on a statistical note, Chicago gets about 54, 54, mil, 54 to 55 million visitors every year. And uh, investing into a city which is so tourist attractive and develop the city's other corners and make it lucrative all around is a great, great idea. And I think it will benefit Chicago's economy and cultural well-being greatly. The idea is very honorable and uh, and I feel, as Andrea said, Chicago is very close to us and I have been looking for an opportunity to visit it again. If, you know, um, it will be, it might, it will take some time for uh, to be ready, but when it happens, I would like to go. So moving on to our next topic. Cincinnati Police Chief Elliot Isaac presented new data on rising homicide rates to Cincinnati City Council on Tuesday morning. City data shows as of Tuesday at eight o'clock p.m., 
More than 300 shootings have occurred in Cincinnati this year and 66 homicides. Of the 66 homicides, 60% of those cases are closed. Crime in Cincinnati is down overall this year compared to 2020, but the homicide rate is up. All of 2020 saw 74 homicides, while 2021 has seen 66 so far this year. There have been seven homicides so far in September. Three additional deaths are pending a ruling on the cause of death. Andrea, your thoughts on this very tragic story? Well, I, I think um, Cincinnati's not alone in these numbers. Across the country, there has been a rise in shootings and in um, homicides and, and, and young people. We can't police our way out of this situation as much as we try. I think we need to take a look at what is causing the rise in shootings. A lot of lives have been affected by COVID, um, by the treatment of COVID, and the lack, the loss of jobs, the gainful employment of jobs, those people wanting jobs that pay better than what they have been getting. All of that is, an, is impactful on people who are not socially economic successful as they want to be. And I think also it's been too easy for our young people who find it easier to resolve conflict by picking up a gun than using their brains. We have failed as a community to teach conflict resolution effectively to our young people. I think that we are seeing the effects of babies raising babies, raising babies, um, the impact of drugs on our community, raising children impacted by that abuse, and the lack of you know, parental guidance, and no, the lack of family guidance on our community. So it's not going to be easy to be taken care of, but it's going to take a long time to turn this around. And I think it's just unfortunate we see these stats and the results of that impact. And not to say it's prevalent to the Black community, but what happens in the Black community eventually happens in the majority community as well. So if we don't get a hand on it now, I'm just afraid of what we see in the future. Wade, your thoughts on this news story? Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Ms. Carter on, on all the issues that she spoke on. Uh, but I guess one of the things I look at is the number of guns, unlicensed guns out there and the, and the drug situation. And those two things will always fuel a lot of shooting and violence. Uh, you've got a lot of guns out there on the street uh, until they address where these guns are coming from and whether these, how this, this epidemic of drugs are, are being uh, brought to the city and everything, you're always going to have this, this problem, uh, especially uh, when you have a lot of unemployment, a lot of free time, nothing to do. And again, the way our community has, uh, I would say in the last 40, 50 years, addressed these issues. A lot of it's been, if our family members or friends were uh, a part of it, we turned our back and didn't say anything. Uh, we kept quiet. And they have that, that, that snitch rule, you know, uh, nobody wants to be the one with the talks. But uh, uh, that's why it's, it's so easy for them to do what they do, because they know that, that we will turn our back and not say anything about it. So drugs, unlicensed guns out there, our community reaction to, I, I remember when I was growing up, if you uh, came in the house and you brought your your mother or somebody a, a, a coat or something that was stolen or something and she, even if she didn't know it so she, she knew it was stolen because she knew you wasn't working and uh, she wouldn't let you bring that in the house uh, I remember when the uh, parents would tell their their young folks that they they 
take them to the police, you know. Uh, but that feeling, that that thought process has uh, left us as a community. And now it's all about, well, he's my child or she's my child and everything like that. And so there's no responsibility from the from the uh, parents. There's no responsibility from the community. There's no responsibility from the from the youth. And uh, this is what happens when there's there's no accountability. Suhana, your thoughts on this new story? John, it's nice to once in a while revisit the numbers and uh, talk about what are the troubles going on in the community. But for so many people, these numbers are a very deep, life-altering reality. I personally don't believe that people choose uh, this way of life because they want to or they have to but I, I, I think uh, most of if not all at least most lack an alternative and I was wondering while my, my senior spoke that uh, something like a uh, uh, presidential center that has been uh, inaugurated by Obama's in Chicago maybe we just need to provide people an uh, alternative style of life of alternative at least opportunity of life 24 hours community centers where they can seek shelter safety uh, emotional mental and educational enrichments food i'd safety if i don't know how city plans to invest and take care of it because but because i don't know I, in all my life i've never seen people just stop doing something when if they are told maybe you can tell a child to do something you can tell stop a child from doing something but how can you tell um so many people who are acting like creatures and victims to stop something which is beyond anybody any one person's control i believe just talking about it and blaming police uh, or asking police to be more critical would not be enough it is necessary, but won't be enough. And I think uh, every victim at middle of the night, when they, if they find any opportunity to leave, should have a uh, safe place run by safe people and provided with shelter should be able to find a safe place to stop for a while, which is available to public. I feel people should be more have more opportunity to feel safe because uh, safety is a concept which more or less is just on papers and in words. We are told that to seek such certain services or speak to certain amount of people, but how convenient or accessible services are is not something that is heavily discussed. If somebody gets arrested, a bail is not free. If somebody needs a lawyer, sometimes some of the fees are not free. If you need certain advices, they are not free. So how can something like cases of gun violence, homicide, abuse can be resolved so easily when other things are not resolved with so much support? If this is people are seriously concerned, if authorities are seriously concerned about the rates of homicide, they should start thinking about the alternatives they can provide to make this difference. Uh, honestly, uh, a part of our Cincinnati could use a decent amount of investments and have some kind of renovation in those areas. 
Moving on to the next topic. On Tuesday night, fans lined up outside Riverbend Music Center, waiting for doors to open to see the Dave Matthews Band. In addition to their admission ticket, fans also had to show proof they're vaccinated for COVID-19 or that they're tested negative. These requirements were put in place by the band, but starting next Monday, guests at all shows at Riverbend, Icon, and the Taft Theater will have to adhere to a similar policy. For fans who arrive at a concert without proof of vaccination or a negative test, Riverbend provided a limited supply of rapid COVID-19 tests to the tune of a $50 charge. The supply was also very limited, so officials said that they don't want fans to rely on this service. Andrea, your thoughts on this news story? I have nothing wrong with it. I went to a concert at Memorial Hall and I had to show proof of vaccination. The concert was sold out and half showed up, half showed proof whether it was a COVID test or a vaccination and got in. And I think it's the reality of the world that we are in right now. We're trying to keep our economy going. We're trying to return to a sense of normalcy as much as possible. But at the same time, because we've been educated enough to know how this virus is spread. And until we achieve herd immunity and everyone who has not um, been vaccinated, unfortunately, there, you know, for every action, there is a reaction. And if the artist insists on being safe, that means the crowd needs to be safe. And if you're paying a ticket for a service, you have to adhere to the service. And I think that's what it comes down to. Um, we all have to comply with rules and regulations even before the mass mandate, even before the vaccination mandate, we all had applied to the rules when we went to a concert, whether it's not bringing a big bag, not carrying extra food in, things like that. We all comply. This is another area of compliance. And I think to keep us all safe, we just have to do our part to get through this so then we don't have to do it anymore. Wade, any thoughts on this news topic? Uh, yeah, I think that as time goes along, you're going to see the bands and the facilities get a little more creative and start to do more of a hybrid concert. And I think they're, once they do this, they're going to see that they're able to make even more money because uh, you, you're going to have your audience, your local audience. But now we have saw with Zoom and all this other stuff that goes on this last year, technology and everything, uh, you can do so much more. And so I think they'll continue to do this uh, vaccination thing locally in, in their own communities and stuff, their facilities, and also uh, have some type of offering uh, with the, with your phone or tablet or something like that where they can charge you and you, you can individually still see the, the event or concert in your home. And I think, again, going by, just going by what has happened the last year with church services and everything, they found out they made more money uh, uh, during the pandemic because um, people from other places that weren't attending the churches uh, were attending the Zoom services. And I think the same thing will happen here. They'll go ahead and have the, the local people attend the, the facilities for the concerts and things like that. But I think they'll have a hybrid system where they'll offer it to the general public through their mobile phones and tablets and things like that. And I think that that uh, once that starts to happen, they'll see they'll they'll probably quadruple the money they were making before because now you can have this happening and someone in Cincinnati and then have someone in Chicago, New York, LA or something like that watching the same concert. And I, I see that that's the future. Suhana, your thoughts on this news story? John, 
uh, I think it is by due time that Cincinnati has caught up with it. And this is exciting for me because about last year, uh, somewhere, I think in Amsterdam, people, uh, there was a government of, government held like a music concert and they required people to download an app and upload that they are not, they are negative of COVID tests. It, I think this was before vaccine was um, uh, quite prevalent, but at that time, uh, Amsterdam did something like this. After that, uh, recently we discussed about city council discussing do people need a vaccine passport to enter places or not? And uh, after a futile discussion today, after this such a concert, we have come to this understanding that people are more or less in agreement of showing a proof that yes, we are vaccine proof and we are absolutely healthy to attend this event. This not only ensures that they are safe, but this gives a relief that people they are around are safe too. Uh, honestly, I'm quite nervous about leaving my home nowadays, visiting crowded places or parties because there is no guarantee how many people would show up and uh, what's and what would be the rate of vaccinations people have taken. As recently, I have come uh, to know a few more people who have not taken vaccines. So this still is quite real. COVID is still a real situation in America. And uh, I think kudos to the artists for asking people or the event managers to do this. And uh, I think most of the places should, uh, as from Monday, will start implying this. It should be a common behavior for more upcoming days until we are we can finally reach a time where we are completely safe. Moving on, the Hamilton County 513 relief bus is providing no-cost resources to the community, including COVID booster shots. Vaccinations are a big piece of the 513 relief bus, but it also connects neighbors with financial support and other programs to get through the pandemic, along with at-home test kits. The assistance from Hamilton County at the bus stops includes help with rent and utility bills. Employees are also there to explain other resources like SNAP food benefits, Medicaid, and child care support. Vice President of Hamilton County Commission Alicia Reese describes it as a buffet of relief, adding, we're bringing the resources to the people instead of the people trying to find the resources. It's already stressful enough. Andrea, your thoughts on this news topic? Um, I, I think Alicia has always been innovative in trying to bring services to the community and taking care of um, what is important. Um, and city government, I mean, I shouldn't say city government, but county government needs to take care of their people in the county. And this is just another way of bringing services, especially in the rural areas of the county who don't have good access to getting to where the services are offered. I think this is good. It's efficient and also shows that you know, our county government cares about their people and the people they represent. Wade, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with the thing about the creativity. Uh, it, it, it reminds me of the voting uh, this past year and everything. They found different ways to get people involved uh, with the voting by, by opening up different avenues, giving them diff different access to, to ways of voting. And uh, again, this they're, they're just being creative, trying to take care of, of, of people now. Uh, whether you agree with the vaccine or not, they are trying to do the things necessary to uh, afford people the, the chance to, if they want to get 
vaccinated, they want boosters, they want these other services and everything, they are uh, right there for them. So it's a good thing. Suhana, your thoughts? John, uh, I think this is a very good initiative to meet communities' demands and needs. While, um, and it's also nice that in uh, the primary purpose, which is the COVID vaccine, uh, activists, people are also using this, uh, the event is also using this opportunity to discuss other matters of concern with the people and try to provide them support in as many ways as possible. Um, I think this past year or so, a little more than a year, people have suffered greatly. And this was, this kind of services are extremely needed and, and it's great that uh, such services are even popping up and people are considering creative ways on how to service their community. And those are the top news topics of the week. And now I want to move on to our main topic, and I want to reintroduce Mary Camp, who is the dance instructor at Dancing with Parkinson's classes. How are you doing today, Mary? I'm fine, John. How are you? I am doing fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit more about Dancing with uh, Parkinson's classes? Yes. Um, here in Cincinnati, we have an organization called Dancing with Parkinson's. We offer classes uh, at two locations. Wyoming Fine Arts Center is one, and we, we're opening classes at Cincinnati Ballet's new facility on October 11th. This program was designed to help people with Parkinson's in two ways. One is it creates a wonderful community of people with like illnesses. Many people when they have Parkinson's kind of pull away from family and friends. And so this gives them an outlet to be dancing with others. We have three teachers. I'm one. Uh, Nancy Fountain is another teacher and Kate Stark. We in each class, we do a format that is a seated warm up. And then we do some ballet bar work. And then we do some center work. Included in this could be tap or jazz or ballet or ballroom. So it's a variety of dance in a way that works on the issues that someone with Parkinson's might have. One is balance. That's really important. We also have a segment because the voice gets weak too. And we have a company who plays music for our class, which is a real treat to have a live pianist every week, live music. But she's also a vocal coach. And so she works with that aspect of the class, probably for about five to 10 minutes in each class. That's actually very fascinating. How long has this um, class been around actually? Through our New York office, it's called Dance for Parkinson's. It's been around for probably 15 to 20 years. But here in Cincinnati, we started about 12 years ago. Gotcha. So how did you get involved with this uh, organization? I was teaching at a dance studio here where I still teach called De La Dance Center. And uh, someone was coming from New York to offer a demonstration class. And our director suggested that some of the people on the staff take the class, which I did. I loved it right away and um, w actually went to training the very next within a couple of days. And that's where I met Kate, one of our teachers. And Nancy, I already knew. So we started out with a, a nice little group of teachers. We alternate teaching classes. There's always a teacher and someone 
who assist a class. And when someone comes to a class, they can bring a caregiver with them, a husband or a wife or a nurse, whoever they have that will, might help them if they need help. So I'm curious, how has dancing uh, helped people with uh, Parkinson's? Like, can you tell the improvement after numerous dance classes and everything? Sometimes you can tell the improvement the day they come to class. Sometimes people come in, they're kind of bent over, moving slowly, shuffling. But once they are into the dance class, it, you can see a difference within an hour. Uh, it really does help. It helps with cognitive issues. It helps with balance. Balance is a big problem that many people with Parkinson's have. And so dance, of course, works on balance all the time. That's what you do. Right. So it's very effective. So I'm curious about your like dance experience in general. Like, where did you study? It's like, how long have you been dancing and everything? I've been dancing pretty much forever. I started when I was a small child. My mom put me in dance and um, I've been dancing ever since. I have literally traveled to many foreign countries and North America, South America, Central America, with being involved with dance. Wow, that's, a, that's amazing. So like if anyone wanted to get involved with um, the dancing for the Parkinson's and everything, like where, like where would they go? Like when's your next class and everything? We have a class on Wednesday afternoons at 2 p.m. at the Wyoming Fine Arts Center. And then the class at Cincinnati Ballet, which starts on October 11th, and that will be a free class. Uh, that class is from, it starts at 12. There will also be a class on, Mon it'll be Mondays and Fridays at Cincinnati Ballet. Right. And I'll make sure to put that information in the uh, podcast description okay. so everyone can uh, read that. Um, right. Does anyone have any questions for Mary or anything about this, uh, about this subject? Yes, I actually have two questions. One, you, you mentioned Cincinnati Ballet and uh, I believe they have two locations now. Which location are you talking about? They have a new location because of the uh, soccer stadium they moved from there so they're now their address now is 1801 gilbert avenue it's next to the baldwin center and across from the entrance to eden park okay and also you mentioned that you've danced for a long time uh, do you have a favorite dance form uh, ballet tap or what, what 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 do you like to do the most it's usually what I'm doing at that moment because I just like to dance. I do a lot of ballet. I teach ballet classes more than anything else. I also do sacred and liturgical dance. In fact, at our, our church, we have a dance group called the Daughters of Marion. But um, probably if I had to choose something to do all the time, it would be ballet. That is fascinating. Does anyone else have any questions for uh, Mary? Um. I would like to ask, um, hello, Miss Mary, I'm Suhana. Hi, Suhana. Uh, why did you start dancing? Actually, I had scoliosis when I was a child and the doctor suggested to my mother that I start dancing when I was five. So I enjoyed it, I liked it. It was something that I wanted to do. And so I've continued. You've uh, said that you've danced all over the world, uh, different places around the world. Could you name some of the places you've been? Uh, probably the most recent and the most fascinating. Uh, I'm a part of an organization called 
the Sacred Dance Guild, and we were invited to England to dance in a church that was built in 960, in the year 960. Wow. And we uh, did a liturgical dance there and taught two workshops, which was very interesting. Does anyone else have any questions to ask Mary? Yeah, I'm curious about one thing. Like I have seen adults going and trying to learn salsa or other dance forms. Right. How difficult is it for an adult to pick up a ballet as a dance form? Uh, it's not difficult. It, um, many people come to us for ballet classes at the studio where I teach. And usually what they say is, my parents wouldn't let me take it or they couldn't afford it or they were doing something else like soccer. But it was some, almost every adult that's come to me to study always says it was something I always wanted to do and for some reason they couldn't do it. But, you know, it's something that anyone could do. It doesn't matter about your race. It doesn't matter about your color, your ethnic background. If it's something that you enjoy, then you should do it. Well, um, let's wrap this up here. Um, thank you for coming on, Mary, and telling us more about Dancing with Parkinson's. Uh, it sounds like a very, very neat class and everything. Uh, so thank you for explaining that. And thank you for giving us a little um, insight about your history of dance and just about dancing in general. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. Before we before we wrap up, uh, is there any kind of um, social you want to plug or any other dance studios besides Dancing with Parkinson's? I just want to say one more thing. Yeah, um, of course. Black, brown, and Asian indigenous people are vulnerable to diagnostic delays and treatment for Parkinson's. Many people of color think that Parkinson's is a disease of older white men because that's what they see primarily, right. but there are many people that have it and sometimes they're not sure that they have it. They don't know that they have it. They think that their symptoms that they see are just the natural part of aging, but there is treatment available for them. Right. So they should they should seek, you know, talk to their doctor or their primary care physician and discuss treatment if they think they have some of the symptoms. But there's many people just recently, Jesse Jackson, Reverend Jesse Jackson yes. uh, announced that he had it. Dave Parker, a local baseball star. Everybody knows Muhammad Ali. Right, right. Um, also, Brian Grant, a basketball player. I don't know if you know that name. He was 36 when he was diagnosed, which is early. Wow. Most yeah. people are over 50. Yeah, I know um, the actor, Michael J. Fox. I know he does. Yes. yes, he does. So yeah, that's that's definitely unusual to get in when you're early. But but yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Just um, like I said, I guess people just need to you know look for the symptoms and everything. Right. I'm curious about one thing. I don't know if we asked this to you or not, but what was the philosophy of um, dancing for Parkinson's? Uh, did they, do, would you happen to know why they started this organization? Yes, I do. It's a company in New York called Mark Morris Dance Company. Mm -hmm. One of their board members was diagnosed with Parkinson's and she asked the director if they could develop an exercise program for her because the doctor said exercise was most important. So they started an exercise program called Dance for Parkinson's and uh, they are now in 80 different countries. 
there are, you can go to the website, Dance for PD, and there are listing of classes. Our classes are listed on there as well, but literally all over the world. When we have training, which is online, there'll be people on, on the Zoom call from the Netherlands, France, Japan, China. It's a disease that's fairly prevalent the world over. Well, I'm glad that or I'm glad this organization has reached um, worldwide. That's amazing. Yes. Okay, so like I said, we gotta wrap it up. Thank you, Mary, for coming on. Um, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, John. And I also wanna thank Andrea, Wade, and Suhana for coming on and talking about our top news topics of the week. Thank you guys, appreciate it. So um, make sure to check out the stories we talked about today on our website at www.thecincinnatiherald.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph F. Booksellers, and select service stations. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and TuneIn Radio. Just search for the Cincinnati Herald podcast. Follow us at the Cincinnati Herald on Facebook. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. And follow us on YouTube. Just search for the Herald TV. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald, and have a good day.